My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is David Breer. Now, he is the CEO at 11FS and the awesome host of the Fintech Insider Breakfast Show on LinkedIn. This goes out every weekday morning and is well worth a watch. Now, David's held senior roles in several organisations, including Emphasis and Gartner, and I think he's a real force for good. So, David, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for joining me. Tell me, how are things going for you just now? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's, um, I mean, it's a really interesting times, right? COVID, you know, global pandemic aside, then uh, then then the life is life is pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's uh, nice to spend so much time at home. I have to say, after ten years of travelling around and doing various different places uh, and various different things, then uh, spending a bit more time at home with the family and, and friends is is nice to do. But uh, but yeah, thank you again for having me on. No, it's a joy. And and tell me, do you have children at home then, or is it just you? And I do. I've got. Yeah, my wife and uh, I've got a, uh, an eight-year-old Josh and a six-year-old Ivy. So uh, my my wife has found a, an untold amount of patience doing homeschooling over the last last three and a bit months. But they're a lot of fun as well. And I think I think I've just about fitted into their process being at home so much, so often. But uh, uh, we'll see if that changes when uh, when time goes forward. But they're lovely little things. They really are. Yeah, it's nice to have time with them, as you say, isn't it? Rather than kind of squeezing it in at the weekends. Now. We always start the podcast with what I like to call the shake your pom-poms moment. So this is about you actually being able to recognize some of your own successes. Um, and I'd love it if you would share with us your three proudest moments. Oh, I mean, the three proudest moments at work or just generally? Generally. Just generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely um, the having, having had kids, they are a constant source of, of pride. And actually, I think if I'm honest with you, I don't think people really understand themselves until they've sort of had kids to a certain degree, because you really understand why you do things in the way that you do. And actually, if I'm honest with you, at that point, you're really proud, not only in terms of what you've delivered, as in the children, although my wife clearly had a large part to play in that as well. But actually, you're, you're really proud at that point of what your parents have done and how they've set you up and what parenting really is. So that's something that's definitely kind of bring me a lot of um, pride is uh, my children and, uh, and and actually how they're, they're sort of developing and, and progressing and, and being happy little things. Um, I'd say 11FS more broadly, um, you know, the company that I, uh, I work at makes me very proud. You know, essentially, it's my third child, if I'm honest with you, the, the sort of time and, and effort and, and energy that we sort of bring to that. And actually, the, the reason why I'm proud of it is not really because of the the success that we've had, but really 
the way in which we've derived that success. We really, really believe in culture over everything and actually, you know, creating an environment that actually people do the best work that they can do, uh, the best work that they've ever done. And actually, because of that, then that that leads to the outcomes that we want to in terms of performance. So again, I, I feel like a lot of people place the emphasis in the wrong place. But yeah, definitely on the second one would, would be the company. The third one, if I'm honest with you, I mean, the things that I look back on that I'm most proud of are generally like sporting moments, if I'm honest yeah. with you. I mean, I, I really live for, and I have played, you know, a lot of, I think I played 11 different county sports when I was younger. And actually sports and the competition around sports and those moments that you remember from those plays on the field or on the court or wherever. And they're some of the, my you know happiest memories and, and, and actually moments that I really cherish even now. And, and they've shaped not just how I play sports, but they've shaped how I deal with people, how I manage teams, how I run a business. So they'd probably be my three. Oh, tell me more about that, that last one then. What exactly have you learned from being in competitive sport and, and how are you actually bringing that into your leadership style? Yeah, sure. I mean, from, from my perspective, I mean, there's so, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a sports guy than I'm a business guy, really. Like my, my background, my, my sort of uh, narrative on this was, I mean, I was playing basketball to a pretty decent level. Uh, unfortunately, three ligaments in my knee uh, went and actually, you know, after having six p uh, six pins in my, my left knee, a couple of operations on my cartilage, it was like, actually, I'm probably going to have to get a proper job at this stage. And it was difficult for me because, I mean, I was actually naturally very good at sports. You know, I've got hypermobility. I'm, you know, that way inclined in terms of naturally. So I didn't really actually have to try very hard to to do that. So, you know, whether it was sprinting or swimming or rugby or basketball or whatever like I was just naturally kind of very good at those things so if you kind of go from a world where you're just naturally very good at doing it and it kind of teaches you that actually it's not about individuals it's about teams and how you work together and um, but the fact that you can just sort of do it and perform at a really high level without really having to try when that thing goes and you have to flip into other side of things you know I really didn't I mean my, my academic career is summarized by saying you know David's a very polite uh, very tidy boy but he just doesn't try very hard and actually like that, you know, that is literally every report card I think I ever got so going from you know the sports side of things to well now I need to apply myself from a business perspective you know what is the what should I do like what should I move from you know I was doing human biology and sports science and and focusing on that side of things and um and my dad I mean my dad gave me a stack of papers and basically said you know pick an industry that by the time you've finished your education will still be broken and just gave me a stack of papers and said look look through these newspapers and figure out what it is and I mean I kind of narrowed it down to three which was oil and gas because I'm like people are always going to need energy but maybe oil and gas will, you know, run out of favor. Um, financial services, because they were on every paper, you know, headline everywhere and lots of things. All the advancements around technology. Kind of being greedy, I sort of plumbed for two of them. So I decided to go, you know, really investigate financial services, but, but doing that uh, in a technological uh, bent to it. But the hard thing for me really was with education was having not really had to try very hard when it came to sports, I didn't really try very hard. And actually, it wasn't until I came out, I literally remember the, the moment. I remember coming out of the picking up my results for my undergrad degree that I'd done in computing. And I'd received a 2-1, which I wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad. It isn't a bad grade. You know, anybody who gets a 2-1 in a degree should be very proud of that. 
But I remember coming out and being like, I did not try. Like, I didn't try this. And actually... Imagine if you had. Well, and actually what happened there was like, as somebody who really prides themselves on being uh, an individual, being different, that actually the instant realization that I had was this piece of paper just says I'm the same as 100,000 other people in the country. And actually I have squandered my chance to really differentiate myself through not putting in any effort. And literally right then, like I remember standing, holding onto some yellow railings that were in front of me. And right then the change that happened was, I was like, I'm gonna, whatever I do, I'm gonna work harder than anybody else in the room. Doesn't matter what it is, I am gonna apply myself harder and have more impact than anybody else around me. I'm gonna deploy the same power of competition that I did to my sporting pieces into everything else that I do. So I kind of, I decided to go and do a master's. I did exactly what I said I was gonna do. I uh, came out with a double first, which is great. And that's literally all I've ever done. I just work really, really hard. And it is, you know, the harder you work, the, the luckier you get on that stuff. I think with, when it comes to the sports stuff into business, it's like actually successful sports teams are teams. There is no, you know, there is no I in teams. But equally, successful clubs focus as much on psychology as they do physiology. It's as much about getting people in the mindset where they know what is happening, they know what they need to do, that communication is broken down in a very simple, digestible format, that they understand what the goals are, they understand how to achieve them, and they understand their part in actually delivering and making that happen. It's why I, I really believe, and you know, with 11FS, the, the culture part is so important to us. It isn't really about what you want to achieve, it's about creating the environment that actually is enjoyable on the way into achieving it. Um, and actually, I think that's why it kind of comes back to success is really abstract. You know, I don't think you ever really succeed. But if, actually, if you if you don't enjoy the journey to whatever level of success you get to at the end of it, then actually that's where people get into to difficulties. And there's a lot of people who are very impatient. You know, a lot of people are very impatient. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, I, I'm, uh, you know, one of our core values at 11FS is, is restlessness. You want people who are restless. You want them to not accept just what we did before, but to continually strive to improve those things. But you've got to enjoy every day. And if you if you enjoy if you work in an environment and you create a working environment where people enjoy the passion that they have in the subject matter that they're doing, then every day towards whatever success that you have is is a is a wonderful thing. And that and that's really where we are right now is we're all a bit weird about the things that we enjoy doing and we try and make and allow people to embrace their weird as much as they can essentially oh embrace their weird as much as they can i've got goosebumps it's amazing and i really want to dig into the cultural element with you because it's sure. one of the things that that stood out for me about 11fs but I, I can't let something go that you've just touched on so you said you made a decision in that defining moment to work hard and be better than everybody else in the room now if you're not careful, that can drive a set of behaviours that mean that, you know, you basically will trample over everybody. And and I know, having watched you for a long time, that isn't your style. You very much crush your ego. You're quite selfless in the way that you champion other people. And I see you as the leader of this brilliant firm. And it's very much about everybody who works for you. So how have you got that bit right? Um, I, I think the, I mean, the thing to, to sort of almost you know, clean up around that is like, actually, I mean, the thing the, the only person I think I'm in competition with is is me. And actually, that's the 
The only person who can decide if I can or cannot achieve something is me. I, I'm um, in, in my head, and I know, and it's a weird, it's a weird thing in, that's in my brain, is that I feel like if I apply myself at anything, that I would be able to achieve it. But also, I'm really realistic that I know that that's not true. Do you know what I mean? It's like, actually, I've had this conversation with my, my friend who's Michal, he's a Polish guy. I'm like, look, if I decided to learn Polish, I'm pretty sure I could learn Polish and speak better Polish than you can. But I know also that's not true. But I know that if I apply myself to something that I will really make sure it is done to the absolute best quality that it can be done. And I, and I think that the thing to that is it's it's um it's not about, uh, I mean, if you, if you talk to the other founders at, at 11FS, that my my biggest my biggest fear with anything is creating opportunity that you don't fulfill. And actually, I think actually if you if you create an opportunity for yourself, but don't take that advantage to to fulfill that opportunity, you're wasting your time. You're wasting other people's time. You're wasting all of that. And actually, for me, the the benefit there to to that is I'm not in competition with anybody else. And I've and I've never really been in, in competition with anybody else. Whether I when I've worked at you know Lloyd's Banking Group or Gartner or wherever, I'm not in competition with anybody there. And that, if I'm honest with you, that has led to that has led to more weird situations. Because I mean, I remember situations when I was at, at Lloyd's where we come out of a meeting and my manager would say. You didn't have a lot to say today. And I was like, everybody said the things that we need to be doing. Like, I'm, I don't feel the need to speak. You know, I don't feel the need to be heard. It's like, actually, I'm very focused on what we need to achieve. And whether it's me saying it or that lady there, it doesn't matter to me, you know? So, and, and I think a lot of people get into what's in it for them or like what's their objective. And if I'm honest, the thing that I really like about where we're at now with uh, with what we're doing with 11FS is it's not really about me. It's not really about Jason or Simon or Ross or anybody else at the company. It's it's about the mission that we're on and actually the collective impact that we can have as a group of smart people putting a lot of effort in. And that really comes through in the culture piece, because I remember reading a job role, not that I was applying for a job, but I was looking at a job role for 11FS and I remember reading it and just going, wow, you know, this feels so different to what you would normally see in that type of space. So it was a job, I think, for like business improvement, which is my my old background. And I was wowed because it was very much about values. It was very much about vulnerability. It was very much about being your best self and how you create that. I, I'd love to know how you have built this business from the ground up with with that culture and not been afraid to be so different to everybody else out there yeah i mean it's um i don't know i i I feel like a lot of this stuff so many people i mean so many people ask me what like what's the great example what's the great example that you're following i'm like it's not really like that it's actually it's a collective of bad examples that you've seen that actually you don't want to be like that actually more closely shapes what you want to create. Do you know what I mean? Actually, most people are very bad at telling you what they want, but they're very good at telling you what they don't want. And actually, what what I've kind of found is, whether it's about how people do focus on culture, or whether it's how people focus on uh, performance, or whether it's, you know, how managers manage, or performance management is done, or one-to-ones, whatever, all of these things, you can kind of come up with a, a very quickly bad examples. And actually, mm-hmm. for me, really just focusing on the fixing the problems that we've lived and breathed over the last you know, 15 years of our careers, 
actually allows us to use tangible examples of organizations that we don't want to be like. Uh, and that that is really galvanized. I, I, I talk to people a lot about how we, you know, you want to hire people with a bit of a chip on the shoulder. It's like, actually, <laughs> I could have achieved, I could have achieved so much more if only these things were such. And actually, it's like, cool, we can make that happen. You know, I, I could, um, we could perform a lot higher level if all of our values are aligned. It's like, cool, we can do that. And actually, it's almost the power that that brings with things. You know, I've had team meetings this week with the, the people team. And it's like, you're responsible for HR, you're responsible for talent, you're responsible for communication, you know, I'm responsible for the business. Between the four of us, we can make any decision and fix any problem. So like, what are we going to do for the next three months? And that then changes the dynamic because in many corporate organizations, what you find is people are, they're inhibited by things that are out of their control. And actually at the point where actually people feel disconnected from decisions or they're disconnected from, you know, mechanisms that affect them, then actually people lose the feeling of, of control and the feeling of hope that things will get better. And what we try and do just generally on communication or decision making is be as transparent as we can do across all of these things to really show everybody the working out. So you might not 100% always agree with the decision, but you yeah. see all of the working out and therefore it's it's hard to not understand it. And that for us, it, again, it so many of the things that I think we do sounds really obvious when you say it out loud and it just sounds like common sense um but to your experience and my experience this isn't how most companies work right <laughs> absolutely i love that show people you're working out because actually that demonstrates you taking them on the journey with you and not kind of doing it to people what, what i'm interested in is it's it's really easy i think to kind of create this stuff at the top of an organization and get you know the exec team on board and you know, create a set of values that you want the company to live by. But how do you actually make or, or encourage the people who work for you in the grassroots to really buy into that and become part of that culture? Because that's the hardest thing, I think, for most businesses. Yeah, I mean, when you look at values and you look at culture, again, people are very good at defining what they want it to be. But the, I mean, the hard thing with culture is people just don't understand what it means. You know, they, they look at organizations that they want to be like and presume the symptoms are the cause. And it's very, very often not the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like a, any disease, you know, the symptoms are generally not the, the source of the disease, you know. So it's actually very often you'll see people go, well, you know, I wish our company was more like Apple or Google or whatever. And, you know, they give away free lunches and put, you know. <laughs> Stuff. And then they're like, well, why are people not not happy? And it's like, well, because the job still sucks. And like, because you're not communicating effectively. And for a whole heap of other, you know, like, they're happy they're getting a free lunch, but now that's just an accepted thing. So I, I mean, I, I think the, the hard thing about culture is it's, again, you're, you're creating a, a set of values, a set of attributes that defines what is kind of acceptable and, and not acceptable. And, and really the hard part of that, Anne, is if you're, it's easier not having values and attributes because you don't have to then hold people accountable to them. But if you have values and you have attributes and you don't hold people accountable to them, you might as well not have any, and you might as well not have any culture. And so if you really, if you really are, if you really believe in culture, you have to be able to hire, fire, train and reward people on the basis of it, else it's meaningless. And And I think the... You know, it's like any rule, you know, the rules for my kids. The minute I'm like, yeah, don't worry about that thing. 
we might as well not have had that rule in the first place. And actually, <laughs> if me and my wife are not aligned on what that rule set is or the ramifications or repercussions or where we'll be lenient, where we won't be lenient, it leads to anarchy and it leads to people being misaligned. It's just exactly the same with a business. Like if you set values, you set attributes, you have to be prepared to hire and fire on those things, unfortunately. And that's that's really hard because, you know, setting those frameworks and setting those I mean, uh, Eric at the uh, 11FS always says it's it's not really about the ceiling when it comes to performance or values or attributes. It's where you set the floor. And actually, I think if you really understand where that floor is, then actually that's what your bar is. And that's really where you need to hold people accountable to. You've got to be this high to to ride this ride, right? Else, um, else it's just not the, the contract that we have between us and our people. And if you set that bar, Everybody knows what the expectations is. Everybody knows what they can rely on their colleagues for. Everybody knows what they can rely on management for. And it's just like a sports team. It's like, actually, everybody knows where everybody else's responsibility is. Everybody knows if they put the ball over there, who's going to be standing over there. They know the keeper is, you know, like th there's a, a network that builds up off that and a reliance and a reliability in the system that just gains momentum. And, you know, after you've got that momentum, it's it's really just about managing and maintaining it. And it's that consistency of the principles and the application of them and, and making sure that people adhere into it. Yeah, I mean, you've got to you've got to kind of make them, you know, make them part of everyday life for people. I mean, the weirdest thing we we rule, we didn't really for, for, for a big part of 11FS, I mean, when you start a company, you know, there's five of you around a table, you don't really, you know, you don't start with some sort of cultural manifesto and a, and a set of values because you've started a business with a bunch of people who are by, by nature, share an opinion and share values. And actually it was, it was one of those things. It was only about, I mean, two and a half, three years into 11FS where we were like, I mean, we need to write this stuff down. You know, we got to 150 people. And we, then it was like, we, we were like, we need to codify this stuff because we lived off pretty basic rule sets to start with. There was a, you know, a belief that digital banking is only 1% finished. It was, uh, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? I can't, I can't remember. A little bit, go ahead. Yeah. It was the, the, the single policy, but just don't be a dick. Um, and, and actually, but that for me is so important. I mean, it's not like we've got rid of that and everybody's allowed to be now, but, but actually the, 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 the importance of that is Actually, I don't want to have 300-page policy on anything ever. I want to give people the decision-making that actually they can use their own judgment. Because so, in so many organizations, what happens is people are asked to leave themselves at the door. And if I, and if I say to you, I'm like, look, there is no travel expenses policy. It's just don't be a dick. You know, it's like, look, if, there's a, if the pandemic is hitting and the only way for you to get out of Singapore is a first-class flight, you can spend £20,000 on a flight. That's cool. But if not, then actually spend money like it's your right thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, we lived off digital banking is 1% finished. We lived off don't be a dick. And then it was all about execution. So it was like, get shit done. This is about the people we work with do not suffer from bad ideas or aspirations. This is an execution game. So those three things were stickers that we lived by for, for, for like three years. And after that, it was like, you know what, we, we probably need to create, there's probably a little bit more nuance to, to our, our swearing. You know? <laughs> um, so what, what's the things we need to live by? And actually for us, then it was, it's all about team. So it's like success is a team sport. That's a relatively straightforward one. Nobody can win uh, as an individual. We have to work together to make these things happen. It's about communication. It's about owning our narrative. 
So that was a quite easy one as well. It's like we, we communicate confidently. We're very clear about what we do. Um, I said a second ago about the embracing our weird. That's all about our attitude. So, you know, how do you allow people to convey that passion, that positivity in terms of what they do? And then the last one is it's just about impact. It's like we fundamentally punch above our weight. And it doesn't matter if we're 200 people or when we get to 10,000 people, we will punch above our weight in terms of the impact that we can have. And actually, if you give people that framework to go, look, these are the things that are expected. This is the almost the, the non-negotiable elements of it. Then it gives people a, a bizarrely, it just gives people a framework to have a conversation about the framework rather than necessarily about individuals, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And it's and it's yeah it's been uh, it's been great. I mean it's bizarre. It's uh, it's turned to everything from novelty mugs to t-shirts to stickers to all sorts of things. But even in Slack, people use them as emojis to shout out people for doing excellent work. Or you know it really has almost turned into the vernacular of Eleven FS now in terms of the values of the company. And I think again to my point around momentum. At the point where you've got that level of momentum that actually people are not just artificially, you know, these are not posters on a wall or like carved in stone in somebody's foyer. Mm-hmm. Like these are things that mean things to people because it's our it's our social contract to everybody. Oh, it's amazing. You're like the they're just the freshest of fresh air. I love this. <laughs> Uh, it really is exciting because you don't hear this very often. Now, I want to pick up on a point you made about self-belief because you said, you know, you have this belief that you can try anything, do anything, make it happen. And then the logical bit of your brain might kick in and say, maybe not. But you've got that that unwavering self-belief. But I want to talk to you about self-doubt because I work with people all the time who are racked with self-doubt and desperately would love your belief. So I'd love to know whether self-doubt ever feels features and if it does how do you cope with it uh i, I do you know what i can i can honestly honestly say never like genuinely and, and it's not that i don't have a it's not that i don't doubt it and it's and it's not that i doubt and, and again this is not this is not you know please don't take this as like arrogance that i'm like i'm brilliant at everything i know that i'm not <laughs> but equally i believe that if i apply myself to anything that i would be able to do it um and that's not just me i i kind of I want to instill that in other people because I, I think the I think the problem with you know essentially what we're talking about is confidence. I think the problem with um, the problem with confidence for a lot of people is that similar to my point around competition. I mean, the only person I'm competing with is me. The only person I will allow to give myself or take confidence from me is me. And actually, I, I think a lot of people use external sources too much to to validate themselves or valid or give themselves confidence. And I mean, particularly in a social media age, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, how many likes or how many retweets or, you know, how much clout I get for this thing or whatever. Like those things are not, those things don't matter. Those things don't bring or give me confidence at all. It's a, to my point earlier on around just things on the journey to success. It's like, that stuff's great, but it doesn't matter. And actually yeah. I kind of feel if more people can create internal um, mechanisms for delivering and generating confidence in themselves, then actually what you find is, again, that is a much more sustainable thing. I, I do think it's a sports thing. Again, sorry to keep bringing about sports, but I messed up like a million times playing sports and I missed like a million shots. And actually there are a bunch of times where, uh, you know, I, I, I would have done something stupid. 
But I think if you if you ever let it make you doubt taking that next shot or getting involved in that next tackle or whatever, then actually that's the point where you've really sort of lost on those things. And I, I think sports people are failure is just part of the process of learning. And actually that's what training is. It's Absolutely. just in the business context, so few people can have uh, the opportunities to practice and perfect mm-hmm. the thing that you're needing to do. But, you know, this is definitely something that I try and instill in my in my kids is practice is perfect. You cannot expect to do everything perfectly the first time. And I don't believe that. But I believe that I'll fail a thousand times. But I believe that I'll keep trying. Yeah, I love that. Practice is perfect. So that whole growth mindset piece. And and it's nice that you brought it back to sport, actually, because that idea that you can make mistakes and it's OK has probably helped you to build that belief over time. And I think you are the first person I've ever spoken to who says that they don't have self-doubt. It's just I just want to come and be with you. But it's amazing. It's, it's a strange it's a it is a strange thing. And it's it's one. I mean, I, I, I say to, I say to Jason, uh, Jason Bates um, is a the deputy CEO here and, and one of the co-founders as well I say to him it's like actually I mean it's not that I'm not scared of anything it's just I really believe in our people and I believe in what we can do so actually if we apply ourselves we can do anything we can't do everything we can do anything so I you know what are we doing next is always my question basically so and I, and I think actually if you if you take that positivity and and the the sort of yeah. And, and actually, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot written about, you know, negative views and positivity or, you know, toxic positivity and everything. Yeah. And, I, and for me, it's it's not it's not blindly thinking everything's going to be OK, but it's actually saying that actually the, the way in which to to your point, the the optimistic view on what life can be. Um, I think the very difference between positivity and optimism is whether you are. I mean, I hope things will be okay, or I'm going to make things. I know, yeah. And actually, I and again, you know, since those yellow railings, I, I take a very active role in making sure things are okay. Absolutely, and and you know, it's a beautiful point you've just made about fear. So you might have that unwavering belief, but it doesn't mean that you're not scared. And I think that's a message that's really good for people to hear because fear is a natural thing. Yeah. But you know that you'll be able to step over it. Um, and, oh, just gorgeous. It, and it's and it's. I mean, fear is generally of uncertainty. Mm. Um, and actually, I mean, I can remember. I can remember many times that I have been fearful standing up on stage for the first few times when you've got a couple thousand people kind of watching you do a thing. Like you, my butterfly, <laughs> my stomach could be all over the place, right? But actually, I mean, what I got to learn very quickly on that type of stuff is you tell. Especially I mean, if you you know get public speaking and do a lot of public speaking, tell stories that are your stories. Yeah. And then actually, what can possibly anybody know more about the thing that you're about to say than you? It's like nobody should ever be scared of an interview because you're going in and in, into an interview to talk about yourself. Like if you don't know yourself better than anybody else, then who is going to know you? You know what I mean? So Absolutely. so actually, the how do you? How, what's the sort of mental hacks you can do? to bring about internal confidence and belief in yourself, which actually can allow, I mean, by nature, I'm bizarrely, by nature, I'm much more of a introverted human being than I am an extroverted human being. But my confidence allows me to be extroverted uh, when by nature, I'd be much quieter. And I mean, at the weekends, I can happily not see anybody. Yeah. I mean, during the week, I'm going to see thousands of people, you know, like, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing in terms of 
what you can overcome if you can instill positivity and belief in yourself. Totally agree. And it's lovely to, to hear it. Now, I'm going to put you under pressure now and you're going to just fly through this. I just know we're going to play the five second game rule. Okay. And you're going to have five seconds to give me three answers to my question. Are you ready? I'm good. Let's go. Okay. So in the five second game rule, can you give me three things that you can do to perk up your mood? Perk up my mood. Music. Absolutely. Music every time is a really good one for me. Spending time with my family. Love spending time with my family. It really kind of centers me around the things that are kind of most important. And then physical exercise. Uh, if, oh. I, if I can do some do some weights, do some exercise, it, it makes me uh, feel alive. Boom. So you're a weightlifter now. That's your thing. Do you know what? It's been one of the benefits that actually I can get by being at home a little bit more is, you know, if you're on flights and hotels and away from home a lot, uh, finding the routines to do those things. But actually, now that I've been at home a little bit more, just finding that 10, 15 minutes every day where I can do something has been really good for me. Brilliant. I love that. And well done on the five second game rule. And then we're on to the killer question now. So the big question that everybody wants to know the answer to is, in your mind, what do you think is the absolute secret to success? Um, you know, I'd love to I'd love to say that actually there was like one thing or there was one book you can read or there was, you know, sort of one mantra or something that is in life. But as as you've sort of heard from from my story, really, it's like, actually, you know, I, I am of average intelligence. I work really hard. Putting in the effort is everything in anything. Anybody can have a great idea. Anybody can be really smart about anything. It's making it happen that really matters. So actually, you know, if anybody can learn from what I've done, it's like you put in the effort, you can overcome pretty much anything. So having that kind of relentless energy to see things through and make it happen. Absolutely. See that, that? I mean, that's really simple in terms of how you say it. More difficult in its application. But actually, it's within everybody's gift to make that happen because it's not rocket science, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's, it's easy to, if you if you get positive reinforcement from the effort that you're putting in, it's an easy thing to do, right? I mean, the hard thing is when you're trying to, you know, move mountains and change industries and it takes a long time. So actually, again, coming back to that point of effort and optimism in equal measures, uh, you can do pretty pretty much anything at that stage, right? Do you know, I knew I was going to love speaking to you, having watched you on LinkedIn religiously, and I do indeed love you. <laughs> it's just been amazing. And like I said, you are a complete breath of fresh air. So thank you for telling your stories and for sharing your wisdom and your lessons. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. No problem at all. Thank you for having me on. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.